0: So I'm just going to pray this morning, because um, if not, I'm just going to be telling jokes the whole time. <laughs> so, um, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just praise you and I thank you for your word, for the Bible. Lord, help us through your Holy Spirit to understand your word. Lord, to hear what you're saying. Jesus, I just pray that you'd speak through me. And Lord, that we would be able to be hearers of your word and also doers of your word. And Lord, we thank you. Help us to prepare our hearts to receive your word. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So you guys know that, um, you know, we're, we're in here with Barack, with Deborah. Um, and if you remember, uh, Deborah tells Barack, hey, listen, this is what the Lord wants to do. The Lord says, be obedient. Go out to uh, fight Sisera uh, and just go out there to fight. He's going to bring you victory. And he's going to he's going to deliver Israel through your hands. Uh, He will bring, you know, the the victory. And um, Brock's like, I I don't I don't know. I I think I need you to come with me, Deborah. So then Deborah's like, okay, since since you don't trust the Lord and you want me to go with you, like the honor of the victory. Won't go to you. Uh, it, It will come by a woman's hand. So it says, uh, very well, she replied in verse nine, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. All right. So the Lord's like, all right, I'm not going to give you the victory, uh, the actual like glory of this, because you won't be able to kill Sisera with your hands. And and then, you know, everybody celebrating about you. His death is going to come through a woman's hands. Right. So um, but Brock's like, hey, man, whatever. Right. So then we get deeper into the story. Verse 11. Now, Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses's brother-in-law. So so it would mean, you know, Moses's brother-in-law had kids. And so these guys are related through Moses's marriage to the Israelites, like to the Levites, so they're related, Um, you know, it's like they're, you know, 15th cousin removed, where I find in like, in like British culture, that's nobody to you, but like in other cultures, like in Spanish culture, that's my, that's my cousin, right, (laughs) you know, you, like, you go somewhere where there's lots of Spanish people, and, um, and they just call you cousin. You know, they're just like, hey, primo, what's up? <laughs> like, you've never seen this person in your life. You don't even know if there's a family tie. But, man, you Spanish, they Spanish, cousin, right? But I know different cultures look at it differently, right? So this, their family. But it seems like this family removed themselves, and now they live on their own somewhere. So it says, now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zinanim near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from uh, Herosheth, Higeom, to the Kishon River. Now, listen, this is the same as a conquering general calling for all of his tanks and all of his heavy artillery. He's coming, right? And if you look at it, you see that the Lord is keeping his word. What did he say through Deborah? He says, um, one day she sent for Barak, this is verse six, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. So we see that the Lord is keeping his word, right? He's, he's, there, there are many scriptures that tell us that going against the Lord's plan is futility. It means it's useless. You cannot stop it. We even know, and something that I hold on to every time I preach God's word is what it says in the Old Testament, that God's word does not return void, right? So if I'm out here pitching God's word, I know that God will do his work. The Lord will do it. The Holy Spirit will do it. Now, if you've ever heard the Lord speaking to, to you through scripture or on a Sunday morning, guess what's happening. His word is not returning void, right? It's gone out to do the work it, the Lord wanted it to do, right? Not the work I wanted it to do. I just have to be faithful. Like Barak, I just have to show up. I have to be ready. The Lord's like, hey, show up, be obedient. And in the same way, he asks you, you just need to show up and be obedient. Well, what's he tell you to do in your life? To honor him, right? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second commandment is like it, Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself. Show up. And God will definitely do what he came to do. So we see that the Lord's doing that. He's the um, invisible main actor, right? We see these stories, and it has, like, little side actors, uh, you know, background roles, Barack, Deborah, Sisera, but the story is really about God's might, really. That's, that's what it's about, right? And Jesus would go on to say in Luke 24 that the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all spoke of him. So who's the main character of Scripture? Right? When I was younger, it was like, well, it matters what story you're telling me, right? Because sometimes it's Joseph, sometimes it's, you know, Abraham, sometimes it's Moses. And then I had to be corrected. I had to correct my thinking. The main character of all Scripture is Jesus Christ, Old Testament and New Testament. Because the Old Testament is laying the foundation for what we believe and the beautiful luxuries that we have through Jesus Christ. They're all laid on the foundation of the Old Testament, right? The sacrificial lamb, that's what Jesus became. Uh, That just like Moses out in the desert when he lifted up that bronze snake and the Lord said, they will be healed of their venom, of their dying if they just put their eyes on this bronze snake that has been lifted up. Jesus said of himself that the son of man needed to be lifted up just like that bronze snake so that if we believe in him, we put our eyes on him, we shall be healed. We will be made new. We will not have death just killing us in sin all the time. It's only through Jesus Christ. So now the Lord is pulling Sisera out. So we see when Sisera was told that Barak was out there, he did exactly what the Lord said he would do. And and it reminds me of this, that in God's plan, you can either be part of the plan, you can walk in his way, or not walk in his way, God's plan will still happen. The only thing we have to ask ourselves are, What is left for me after God's plan is enacted? Was I obedient or was I disobedient? Right? So you can go God's way or you can disobey. God will have his way. You you doing or not doing doesn't stop God. Okay? That's not why, well, you know, I'm Christian because God really needs me. And God doesn't need me. Like that's what that's what happens when people start thinking they're bigger than what they really are, right? I told you last week. I was told when I was younger, "Dave, if you are not willing and you continue to be not willing, God will find one that is willing." Man, I want to be part of God's plan, right? So really, I have to pray the prayer that my mother prays, right? Lord, make me willing. To be willing to do your will. Because that's part of the problem with us. Why don't people walk with the Lord? Because they're not willing. They're not willing. Because they're weak. They, they actually would rather run back to their sin. And there we have the problem with sin. It's hard for you and me to let go of our sin because we like it. Now, you may not want to confess to that. No, I hate all sin, (laughs) right? But how about the sin that you hold on to? Do you hate that? That's where we have to follow in obedience, where the Lord says, that's bad. Even though you enjoy it, that's bad. So then I have to say, Lord, I repent. I agree with you. Even though I don't feel it, I'm walking your way. I'm walking your way. And guess what? The feelings catch up. Because when you're out of that sin and you look at it and you see what it really is, you see how dirty and miserable it is. Whatever sin, whatever sin. You know, like sometimes it's easy for us to think of other sins that other people have and that's super dirty. But the scripture asks us To look at ourselves. Not to look at the person next to you. Not to look at the person that you're having problems with at home and you're sitting there thinking they should be listening to this sermon. Right? No, no. We should be listening. Right? I have a responsibility before the Lord and it's not for uh, so-and-so's life. It's for my life. That's what I will be held accountable for. My life. So just like Sisera, he could be disobedient or not disobedient, God's going to still have his way, right? Sisera could, could probably sit there and say, I hate the living God of the Jews. Do you think the living God of the Jews is crying? Like, oh no man, Sisera hates me. No, he's like, I'm going to have my way. So you can either be part of God's plan, which he loves, or you can just be a pawn and be used because of your disobedience. So like I said, uh, what we need to ask ourselves is if I'm obedient or disobedient, what is there for me in the end? God's blessing or God's wrath? Which one would you rather have? Yeah, I'd rather have God's blessing, right? I'd rather have God's blessing. And then what we'll see is that the Lord is faithful To his children, to his people, right? Imagine, now we know that Cicero was over them for like 20 years. Have any of you guys ever had an evil person over you for 20 years that just beats you up, steals your things, all of your things, and makes you live in poverty? Have you ever had that? 20 years. Do you think you would still believe in God after that? Hey, the Israelites show us. They they didn't really, right? When hard times came, they would be like, well, God probably doesn't even hear us. I don't even know if he's real. Let's go worship some idols. Shows us the human condition, right? So then again, it warns me, I need to watch myself. But scripture tells me that it's different. Verse 14, then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. Those are those are some encouraging words, right? There are a couple times in scripture when we are told like in the Old Testament that the Lord was marching out for them or the Lord was surrounding him. The Lord is known as the Lord of Hosts, the God of heaven's armies. He is the head king of everything. Right? You remember Joshua? He was he was walking on a road and he saw this huge angel. And many people believe that this was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ because this angel says something. Joshua says, Are are you with us or are you against us? And the angel says, I'm not with you. And I'm not with your enemy. I am the commander of God's armies. Then Joshua quickly says, we're with you. <laughs> we're with you, right? And he bows down. And we we see that even with King David, there were times that uh, I, I just remember this one time when he is asking the Lord, "Should we go uh, fight against the Philistines?" And the Lord says to him, "Go wait in the trees, and when you hear the marching above you in the trees." then know I am going before you and attack. That's crazy, right? That's that's crazy. That's how powerful God is. So she says, the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into panic. In, in the song that they sing in the next chapter, we're going to see just a little bit more description in what happened. He actually caused Sisera and his men to somehow, uh, like the, the river swelled, it seems like, and their chariots got stuck, and it caused confusion. We see that again and again in the book of Judges. What happens with Gideon? We'll read about Gideon. But do you guys remember the story of Gideon? Gideon says, oh, Lord, uh, I'm not that strong. And the Lord's like, I want you to lead the the army. So he gets a whole bunch of guys together and they have 10, 20,000 men or something. And the Lord, he goes before the Lord and the Lord says, you got too many men. Okay, so he's got to whittle it down. He whittles it down until they are fighting against a full-blown army with 300 men. 300 men. And the Lord's like, what I want you to do is run down the hill, smash some pots, and yell. (laughs) Okay. And they do that, and he throws the army into confusion, and they kill themselves. They kill each other. Gideon's just there picking up the wallets. The Lord fights for us. He fights for his people. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're having trouble at work. Guess what? If you commit yourself to the Lord, the Lord fights for you. He fights for you. Maybe you're having trouble in your family. Guess what? If you commit yourself to the Lord, the Lord fights for you. Maybe you have trouble with neighbors. Same thing. If you commit yourself to the Lord, instead of going out to fist fight them, the Lord fights for you. He fights for you. You know what's hard for us to understand is this. I was, I was explaining it to my daughters that God actually likes us and He loves us, and He doesn't like us and love us love us because, like, you know, He doesn't look at me and be like, "Man, Dave is so super cool." Man I, wish I, I, man, I wish I wore cool shirts like him. You know, the Lord's not like that. He loves us and likes us because of who he is, not because of who I am. Now, I know some of you guys are looking at me like, well, I don't know about that shirt, Dave. <laughs> but I'm going to commit myself to the Lord and the Lord will fight for me. All He' going to fight for my shirt. No, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding around. But honestly, though, Honestly. He loves you if you are his child even if you're not his child guess what he wants you to be his child he loves you he's calling you like it says in the book of hebrews today is the day of salvation so if you hear his voice do not ignore it come to him normally you know the live stream is going and there's people sitting out there live but not today Our internet's down. You know, we came in this morning. We've had the same internet provider for 10 years, and it's only been down one other time. You know, that's pretty good. So this is number two. I'm keeping count. I have a chart in the back. But the Lord's good, and he he knows why. So the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot, and got out to fight like the warrior he was, right? Is that what we see here? If you have your Bibles, you could you could read it ahead. You could see it on the screen. Sisera did not get down like the warrior that he was, right? 20 years he's been crushing these people. He sees he's in trouble, and guess what he does? He does something that generals do not do. He ran away. He yelled out the old, every man for himself, (laughs) and took off. Like we all know, like the honorable thing to do, right? Who's the last one on a sinking boat, right? The smallest kid, right? No. Who's the last one on a sinking boat? The captain. Who's the last man standing on a battlefield? general right especially well back in the day the leader the guy in charge right he gets off of his chariot and runs runs like Usain Bolt he's out he got the you know whoever the new fastest man in the world is <clears throat> And it says, so we're going to see something. It says, uh, Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth, Higeom, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. So by the end of the campaign, not a single one of his army was left alive. So what, what happened to Sisera? Meanwhile, Sisera, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor, right? So they were probably trading something. They were, you know, whatever it was that they took care of in the fields or whatever, and they were on friendly terms with the king, probably doing business. So then Sisera knows these guys are friends with my king. We're over them. But then he doesn't take into account that they are family with the people that they're fighting, right? Cicero does not care. Okay, another thing that we're going to take note is in this culture, in this culture of, um, you know, kind of like Bedouin or uh, travelers, not really travelers, but like they live in their tents and they travel around, it is the woman's job to put up the tent and take down the tent when they're moving when they're, they're moving around. So it's, it's their job. The other thing would be that the wife, especially the head of the tribe, would have her own tent, and her husband would have his own tent. And guess who the only dude is that enters the wife's tent? It's not the milkman. <laughs> not the postman. It is the husband. So we see Sisera not only ran away like a coward, he now went against custom and ran into the tribe leader's wife's tent. And he doesn't say, I'm sorry for being here. I know this isn't right. I apologize. No, he starts giving her orders. Right? The great commander that he is just starts giving her orders. Right? And it doesn't seem like JL is a dummy. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, "Uh, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. She probably saw he was a bit crazy, trying to hide. He knew his end was close, and he knew he had to hide, right? So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Right? So she's not acting strange. In a sense, she's like, okay, this guy's in here, but something's up. And she not only gives him – she doesn't get him water. She gives him milk. That's nice. Right? I'd be like, do you have any chocolate chip cookies? (laughs) (laughs) to go with the milk (laughs) that's just me (laughs) stand at the door of the tent he told her if anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here say no now she knows something's up right she goes okay we're hiding you under a blanket you came running over here and you would never normally come into my tent you are a desperate man something's up Right? And she wasn't stupid. But when Cicero fell asleep from exhaustion, JL quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. She's a pro. This, these, are her, these are her daily tools. Right? Because at first you read this and you're like, "What does, what's this woman know about a hammer and a pe- tent peg? And then you realize this is what she does. She's been doing this since she was younger, right? Not not this particular thing, but using these tools. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. Okay? Like I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, the book of Judges is not for the faint-hearted. Right? And we know that it tells us a couple of times in the book of Judges that every man did as they saw fit. They didn't follow the Lord. They didn't listen to this, right? But at the same time, the Lord is using her as a tool to get rid of what is bringing them trouble. And when the Israelites cried out, it does not say that they repented. So the Lord only gave them momentary physical peace. He wanted to give them more, but they wouldn't repent. They just continued on their way. And as long as there was a strong leader telling them to worship the Lord, then that's what they did. But once that strong leader died, they went right back to their idols. Went running right back. And the same cycle would begin. The Lord would allow, he would keep his word. He would allow somebody to oppress them. They would be oppressed for a couple, you know, decades. And then after a while, they're like, okay, I'm kind of tired of this. God, God, please come save us. And God, being a good father, would come to save them, but he would just meet that physical need, right? He wanted to do more. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera laying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. Man, he must have a splitting headache, right? So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite Canaanite king, and from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. So it doesn't mean that that day Jabin was gone, but that day was the beginning of his downfall, right? Because now his strong general wasn't out on the field with 900 iron chariots. The Lord helped them get rid of what was ailing them, right? So we see a couple of things here. So we see that Barak um, had to be brave. He just had to be brave and obedient. Like, hey, sometimes when we're marching out in obedience, we don't know the full plan, Right? God tells us, hey, why don't you share my word with this certain person? We don't know the full plan. We don't know what's going to happen after that. You may, the, you know, God's word may get rejected, but at least you were obedient. And I was sharing this the other day with one of my friends, and, and it's something that my friend told me a long time ago, right? I was a bit down. You know, I was living for the Lord. Nothing was really going on, you know? everything Everything was, like, mundane. Just working a job, you just... Loving Jesus and everything is boring, right? And you want to be obedient to Him and you're setting out to be obedient and there are setbacks. And I remember sitting with my friend, and it must have been maybe 25 years ago. And, um, you know, my friend, uh, his name was Seth, and he played basketball to an elite level, Um, you know, like he would do uh, dribbling. Basketball shows for like Kobe Bryant and stuff like that. So I mean, he was he was good on the basketball court. He played for the Harlem Globetrotters and he did all of these trick things and everything. So, um, but I remember sitting there with Seth, and I was just sharing with him, and he was sharing with me, and he was like, "You know what, Dave? Um, I think that we judge success differently. We we try to judge it like the world, like what." what has happened in the outcome, right? But he's like, according to God's word, he wins. That success is already his. But how the Lord measures success in our lives is through obedience. So the moment that you set out in obedience, you have met success in the Lord's eyes. You are doing what he wants you to do, and he is happy with you. You know, like, and And this other thing is, we are not doing things for the Lord for God's approval. Through Jesus Christ, we already have his approval. We are doing things for the Lord because we love him. Right? It's because of love. So why do I do good things? Because it's going to get me uh, into heaven? No. Good things will not get you into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ will get you into heaven. It is by grace that we have been saved. That's what the Bible says. We do good things, James tells us, to show our faith. Right? To show that I love the Lord, that he has changed my life, that he has been good to me, so I'm going to love him back. And the beautiful thing is that when we're loving the Lord, He then says, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, you will reap a reward. Sometimes we grow weary, you know? So his people just have to be brave and obedient. Today he tells us to go out there and smash our enemies, right? No. That's not what Jesus told us. Jesus told us to smash our enemies with love and prayer. Some of us have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with that, right? Because when somebody evil does something to me, man, my first instinct isn't to drop on my knees and plead for their salvation. My first instinct in my flesh is to get back at them, right? To exact revenge. That's that's our human condition right but today it says today he tells us pray for your enemies Luke 6 verse 27 and 28 says but I tell you who are willing to listen I say love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who hurt you that's tough especially with everything going on in this world today, right? The Lord's like somebody smashing your people. Pray for them. Love them. Plead for them. And I know that your humanness, your human rationale is kicking in right now and saying, what good will that do? It's what Israel did, right? Right? and the Lord brought the judgment on Sisera. Right? The Lord brought it around. I've sat here in this room chatting with people when other wars were going on and they were saying innocent children are dying. And I'm like, yes, I totally understand. My heart goes out to them. It is a sad situation. But I commit myself to the Lord, and I know that he sees all things, and he is good. He is good. Now, you may say, that that doesn't add up, Dave. Your maths are wrong. These are my maths. God can do anything. I do not understand everything, so I commit myself to the one that I have gotten to know through Scripture and through living a life that is trying to please him. So I see him move, and when he moves, it matches what it says about him in his word. So therefore, I know that his resume is true. So I can believe it if God said it. Right? I can believe it if God said it. I remember when the war in Syria began. And... and. I was talking to a guy and goes, so you're just going to sit there doing nothing. I said, "I, I pray and ask the one who can do anything to reach out his hand and to be good like his nature is, right? God didn't make the wars. Men's evil hearts make wars, right? God didn't make the weapons. What's he say in the end? that all of their swords will be beaten into plow hooks, right? We'll all become, instead of warriors, farmers. The Lord is good, and we can rest in that. So Luke 6 tells us, hey, man, pray for your enemies. We go a bit further in Luke 6. I mean, yeah, in Luke 6, 35 uh, through 36, and it says, again, love your enemies, do good to them lend to them without expecting to be repaid then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will be true you will be truly acting as a chi- as children of the most high for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate man And Matthew 18, I was reading this to my girls the other night, Matthew 18, if you're tracking along with us, you should probably be in Matthew 18 right now, but I'm going to bring you guys to the end of Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 23 through 35. And I think this story really shows why we should have forgiveness towards others. Okay, so the first person in debt in this story is like you and me. We owed if you if you uh, are a Christian, you once owed a debt. If you're not a Christian, you still owe the debt. So at one time or another, we have owed a debt that was larger than anything we could pay. All right. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decides to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors, so one of the servants, was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. We could say millions of pounds, right? Because dollars, they're Australian and American and Canadian. Here, we spend bigger money. It's pounds. (laughs) He owed him millions of pounds. Now imagine yourself owing the king of the United Kingdom millions of pounds. And then the king says, it's time to pay up. Let's say you owe him 25 million. Now some of you guys in this room may feel like, well, I'll just get 25 million from my bank account. I am not one of you guys, Okay? I do not have 25 million in my bank account. I got like two pennies and and the rest I gave it to my daughters and they have it in their piggy bank so they have 5 pennies, okay? So all joking aside, 25 million for normal people is a lot of money, right? Even a million. The average worker in their life will make 1.7 million in their whole life. In their whole life. Now this person who is normal is told You owe money bigger than you can pay. Now watch. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed millions of pounds. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold. Okay, that's a bit different, right? (laughs) Not like go take a loan. He be sold. So I was explaining to my daughters, listen, it would be like as if daddy is taken and sold as a slave to somebody else. And that's not all. That he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So all of a sudden, your house is getting put on the market, your car, your children, if you have any, your wife, your husband, if you have one, um, everything. You have a dog, that's getting sold too. Everything. Your life, is gone, you are now a slave to pay a debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. That's it. You don't owe 25 million anymore because the master says so, because the king says so. That's awesome, right? (coughs) Let's keep reading. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So a few thousand pounds. Let's say this guy owes him 4,000 pounds. This guy just owed 25 million. But now somebody owes him a little bit. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man that had, uh, he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Anybody having trouble forgiving? Let it be gone. (laughs) The Lord says it over and over again. He forgave you. How much more should you forgive others? But we like to hold on to it, don't we? I am offended, they cry out. And then we hold on to that offense. Even among our brothers and sisters here, they are so offensive. They said offensive things to me. You know what? You were once offensive to the Lord, and so was I. Should we not have more forgiveness for someone that owes us a very little debt? We do not owe a tremendous debt through Jesus Christ anymore. Remember to forgive, right? That's what we're told. So he tells us, listen, this is how you should deal with your fellow fellow believers. I would go out to say fellow believers people fellow people right 1 corinthians 6 verses 1 through 7. when one of you has a dispute with another believer how dare you file a lawsuit and ask secular courts to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world and since you are going to judge judge the world can't you decide even these little things among yourselves don't you realize that we will judge angels so sh- uh, should surely so you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life if you have le- legal disputes about such matters why go outside to outside judges who are not respected by the church I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is, who is wise enough to decide these is- issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Pooh. right? That tastes pretty bad. And and when I was teaching through this years ago, I thought to myself, why not let yourself te- be cheated? Who, who here wants to be cheated? Raise your hand. You want to be cheated. I love being cheated. No, none of us. But the Lord's like, if you trust me, if you trust the God who crushed Sisera, if you trust the one who brings victory to his people, then being cheated doesn't matter. The Lord Is the righteous judge. He will do. Right? And I've had to stand there at times and say, you know what? I'll just let myself be cheated. I've tried to reason. I've tried to go through this and it's not working. I'll just walk away and put my trust, entrust myself to the Lord. Right? Isaiah 40, verse 31 so we have a promise there it says but those who trust in the lord will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint and then we have comfort in in a verse that i talk about very often because it's a comforting verse to me 1 peter 5 verses 5 through 7 but we'll skip to the middle of 5 it says but God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'll finish with this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. He cares about you. So so you have worries, and, and you can't break free of what's going on? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and say, Lord, you are in charge you do all things. I will continue to do as you say, to love my enemies, to be kind to my brethren, to even to the point, if they want to cheat me, let them cheat me, because you are the one that holds my accounts. It says, in due time, he will lift you up. And I've seen that over and over again in my own life. I've seen it in other people, other people's lives, that when we want to take matters into our own hands, man, we get tired, and we're sitting there and we're battling it out. We're punching people. There was this matter that happened to me, and I told you guys a, a few years ago that um, they, they, uh, you know, the police were saying that I was caught speeding in two cars at the same time. I didn't know I was that good. <laughs> huh. Okay. So I correspond with them because they're mistaken. Okay? I can only speed in one car in one time at the same time. I mean, you know, like, I think it's like easy physics. I don't know. But but I was in two cars at the same time at the same camera, and I was getting the tickets. So we... we write to them. We say, I'm sorry, you're mistaken, whatever, whatever, and we try to sort it out. So finally, like three months into this, they send me a letter saying, you have not corresponded with us. This is after like five letters back and forth. They send back a letter and they say, you have not corresponded with us at all. You have been ignoring us and you are going to the magistrate. And I'm like, what? I just felt like, how am I fighting this losing battle? And then I had to go to the states. So I said, fine. They told me my court date and everything. And they said, if you have evidence of this, that you were not driving two cars at the same time, we want you to bring the evidence. OK, maybe, maybe I'll drive one car there, and my wife will drive the other one, and I'll show them. Look, I can't drive them both at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know. So then, if you have any witnesses. So we said, yeah, OK, we got these witnesses. We have corresponded with you over and over again. You seem to have lost all of our, all of our correspondence. S- you know, sorry. Okay, so we'll be there. I'll be there. And my wife was going to come as a witness to say, I know my husband. I submit myself to you. You fight for me. I've tried. I can't do anything. I am not greater than this authority that is saying to me that I have done something when I have not. Right, so I go to the states. I come back, and then one day I'm just sitting there before the court date. It's like a month before the court, the the uh, yeah the court date, and I get a phone call from a lady, and this lady says, "Hi, I work uh, at the magistrate's office, and um, I just wanted to tell you that I think there's been a big mistake." And I'm like, "Wait, I can't drive two cars at the same time." <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> no, no, they said there's been a big mistake. It it just it seems like it it got all mixed up in our computer systems and everything like that. We're really sorry. You do not have to come to the magistrate's office. Everything has been wiped off. Right? And uh and I'm like, "What's your name?" <laughs> I just I just want to make sure that this is real. <laughs> and uh, you know, because we had been going through this for a couple of months. And she said, "No, I, I work for the magistrate. My name's so and so. You could write that down. You know, this is the time of the phone call. Everything, and uh, just know you don't have to show up. It's it's been wiped off. I'm actually gonna go in front of the magistrate and say it's been a big mistake. You don't even have to show up. We're really sorry. You know. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's it. And and it was gone. The Lord fought for me. I didn't know that lady. I don't know the lady that works for the, you know the magistrate or whoever." The Lord fought for me. But we have to remember that we have a responsibility to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to fight for me. I just want to be obedient. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, strengthen us to walk with you. Strengthen us to to be your children and to act like your children. Lord, to forgive those who who offend us or do things against us or who are our actual enemies, Lord, who don't love you, who, Lord, that we would be your children, children of the Most High, living God. Jesus, we pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit. Give us strength to follow in that to be brave and obedient. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.